0: And welcome back to 90% mental ultra distance paddling adventures. I hope you're all enjoying the episodes thus far and that you all enjoyed hearing about Brian Sheridan's 2022 attempt in the Everglades challenge part one. The biggest takeaway from that episode is to always respect the conditions out there. If you feel the possibility of yourself becoming a liability to first responders, others around you to include race personnel or other racers, It is okay to call your race it doesn't mean you failed it means you learned something that you can carry with you to future races and use those lessons to kick some butt just like brian did by going back to face on the everglades challenge again in 2022 hope you all enjoy and again this is a continuation of part one so if you haven't already listened to that episode please do so don't forget to subscribe for the latest episodes and support the show By either clicking the support the show link or just writing a quick review and giving the show some stars. Let's get right back into it. I know you're going to enjoy this one. We talked about at what point you were going, you decided you're going to do, you know, the race again in 2022. So for 2022, what was your goal?
1: To finish. Same goal as the beginning, to finish.
0: And what did you decide that you were going to do to accomplish this goal that you may have not thought about or done uh, in the previous year?
1: More training, more dedication. um, And I basically in the car ride, so my uh, mom and dad came and picked me up from Marco And in the car ride home i then and there decided i was gonna not compete in the next year in 2021 but compete in 2022 uh, primarily because it was kind of unfair to my family the amount of time i needed to put into training which meant less you know family time so you know take take a few months off uh and then immediately start training for 2022 um but my big the big change was the the style of training so in 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 preparation for 2020 i was I, I physically paddled a lot i did you know 20 to 40 miles most weekends um i did a lot of you know boat handling stuff a lot of uh you know uh, roll recovery drills and you know you know more in in seat training and for 2022, um, two big things in in late 2020, So January of 2021, I did basically the the lower half of the race course with uh, another seasoned competitor, a guy named Scott Based, uh, who competes on a SUP, and he is the only person to finish uh, four times on an SUP. He has completed uh many uh first time races as a sub competitor he's doing uh the Yukon 1000 I believe this summer he's done the Yukon 1000 in the past um he's done the Kruger Waddell challenge which is another uh water tribe event uh put on uh in like the Canadian border uh this guy is uh just just grit pure grit you know like uh the he he jokingly refers to himself as the master of the slog fest um because you know he does one of the hardest paddling races around in probably one of the most difficult crafts to do it in and uh, you know a stand-up paddleboard Um, i agree yeah that's that's uh that's a new level of masochism right there
0: it is and i mean i when i started paddling that was my craft of choice and i i've suffered i've had a lot of fun but through a torn acl and just a lot of body aches yeah it's it's a rough one so
1: cool just your windage i mean just your windage alone like the Mm -hmm. you know amount of your body that is exposed directly to the wind that if, if it's anything but in your favor
0: yeah, you're it's just, in trouble.
1: <laughs> it's just, and also the amount of that weight matters, you know, so you don't have anywhere to put your stuff. So, you know, if you bring two liters of extra volume of stuff, that's two more liters of windage as well.
0: Exactly. So it's so with that being said, you know, it it is very important to choose which craft you're going to be going into a race like the. Everglades challenges because it can neither make or break you.
1: Yeah. And I would say the general rule is it will break you.
0: Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. Sounds like it. So day one was a lot more mild than in 2022. Um, you discussed yeah. that you went well into the night and you stopped, I guess, at 10 p.m. looking for camp and you noticed a bobcat stretching on a tree. So yep. you got back in your boat and ventured off to find another area. And there was some really beautiful nature <laughs> moments that happened there. Explain that. First, explain the bobcat situation. I mean, it's one thing seeing, you know, a, a drug addict asking you for drugs. But then, you know, seeing a bobcat is a whole nother another element. Yeah.
1: yeah, it was... uh. You know, I was actually farther up the race course than I had decided to camp, the, you know, in 2020. And uh, there's a, you know, a long inland sort of basically a drainage canal you paddle in for like four or five miles. Everybody calls it the ditch. Um, we had just come out of the ditch. And at that point, the barrier island between the mainland of Florida and the Gulf of Mexico is, is uh, I believe, some sort of a park or a preserve. Um, so it's just solid woods um, on your, you know, Gulf of Mexico or right side. You know, there's a. I had a few marked campsites because I'd paddled through there before and I uh, came up to one of them with a nice beach. And, you know, off to one side was a, a bobcat stretching on a tree. Uh, wow. Which is cool. I mean, they're, you know, amazing, beautiful animals, but I'm not trying to sleep next to one, you know. So yeah i dark. i wouldn't want to either yeah yeah i mean you know odds are they probably wouldn't mess with you but uh you know not what you need when you're trying to sleep so i i kept on um and this particular it was a moonless night uh so quite dark and uh for whatever i don't know the you know the bioscience behind it but for whatever reason there was an immense amount of uh bioluminescent uh plankton um to the point where you know, I, I would look behind me, and there'd be a, a a trail of of green blobs where all my paddle strokes were. Uh, and and then every time, you know, fish would swim next to you, they would leave you know ir green iridescent uh, trails behind them. And it was, uh, you know, I don't I don't think I was hallucinating, but it was surreal enough to where you really ask yourself, am I am I really seeing this, or is this just a hallucination? But it was. Um, <laughs> interesting
0: yeah I've had some experiences with that bioluminescent stuff and it is just absolutely breathtaking I mean any little thing that that skims the water you know a a fish a little bug anything I mean it just lights up like it's like a a Mm. Disney movie like a dream you know Right. So that's really, really cool that you got to experience that. And even the Bobcat too. I mean, I, that's one thing I love about ultra endurance races is the the nature that we see that we wouldn't otherwise be able to encounter if we didn't do these kind of things.
1: Yeah. Especially in places that are 100% inaccessible, uh, through any other means.
0: Yeah, that's incredible.
1: For me, the the, the real, uh, you know, chest-thumping moment was um, transiting uh, Sarasota Bay, which, you know, was the beginning of the end for me uh, in 2020. Made it through Sarasota Bay, made it on, you know, good good weather, didn't, you know, it was still bumpy and choppy, but it wasn't crazy like, you know, two years previous. And – you know i pay real close attention to the weather and and the weather was predicted the wind was predicted to blow strong out of the east that evening so i intentionally did not push hard that day went slow in expectation of being rested during you know when sunset came you know in expectation of a a late night sail with you know strong winds out of a favorable direction uh, that would allow me to uh, you know not paddle and make good distance and uh, that it happened you know the For once, the weather forecast followed exactly what it was supposed to do. So uh, I crossed Sarasota Bay probably by 5 p.m., made a few quick boat repairs and then uh, didn't make a navigational error like the year before and went all the way east, uh, you know, between Pine Island and the mainland and then had an amazing sail from like 730 at night uh, to about midnight where I covered um like 25 miles without paddling just sailing the whole time which is huge Um, you know
0: yeah that must have felt really good so why did you not you know from your experience uh just for all the listeners out there who don't maybe don't do ultra endurance racing or do um what what was the idea behind not planning where you were going to stop like not having a set plan where you were going to stop like why would you or would you not want to do that
1: well um you know mike tyson says that everybody has a plan till you get punched in the face <laughs> and that that's the just the reality of the race course um you know every morning you're going to wake up you're going to make a plan and then every day you're going to get punched in the face uh and every evening you need to reassess that plan and then uh you know come up with a new plan you can't because weather is such a huge factor and because weather is so deeply unpredictable uh, specifically in that part of Florida during that time of year um like you can plan the tides pretty closely and usually your tide charts are fairly accurate um but it you know even the tides are a prediction because of the effect of the wind so you know, you can plan as much or as little as you like, but you're going to get punched in the face. It will. I happen.
0: agree. Yeah, that's that's a really great thing to take into consideration because it is true. I mean, you really just don't know what what what's going to happen out there. So in the morning, uh, you end up having to fix uh, two of the bolts that hold your seat in place before you had yeah. to check one. What was the deal with that? And did you, I mean, did you prepare – for stuff like this to happen, so you had you were carrying extra repair equipment with you.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, I mean, I uh, I provide for my family by fixing boats, so uh, I had a probably overly extensive uh, boat repair kit. Uh, yeah, and so my seat is held down with two bolts. Uh, one of the bolts broke during day one. The second bolt broke, uh, I think, late on day two. Um, Both times I just repaired it and moved on. No big deal. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that are going to take me out of this race, but, uh, my mechanical ability to fix a a, a vessel in the field was not going to be one of them.
0: Great. Um, That's definitely a plus. I know a lot of people, including myself, you know, we don't have that experience. So it's definitely was an advantage for you or it could have been a disadvantage for other people. Right. So at 8.30 a.m., you leave checkpoint one with the knowledge that Rod Price, which, by the way, I love Rod. I just uh, spoke with him the other day to make sure it was okay to mention his name in this podcast. So, hi, Rod, if you're listening. (laughs) Um, You had knowledge that Rod Price and some others had left around 7 a.m. after only checking in at 3 a.m., which means they got a very little amount of sleep, if any at all. You weren't sure. Um, So you had hopes to catch up with
1: them right Right. and then that next so the morning of day three i slept on uh one of the islands underneath the sanibel causeway um having had that long you know 25 mile night sail um sort of left from from the sanibel causeway into the gulf of mexico and it shortly shortly met up with a, a group of um Paddlers who I later found out was the, the same people that dusted me, sort of, on uh, in uh, Tampa Bay. And these people are in like uh, you know, epic, um, super narrow, carbon fiber, super fast kayaks. Mm-hmm. And, and then Rod, who's in a, a decked canoe, very similar to mine, uh, very similar boat. Um, the that group of people dusted me the first day, but then I caught up to them uh the morning the third morning uh, i guess monday morning would have been and uh you know proceeded to you know pace with them the rest of the day uh and and then as i spoke to i I didn't know any i I knew of rod only uh from having read his books i guess you're probably in that same boat uh and had talked to him a couple times but I, i didn't know him on a personal level but as it turns out the the three other kayakers were, you know, like elite uh, Everglades Challenge competitors. Um, it was a a, a couple, uh, a, a fiance couple or whatever. They had the Andy had completed ten Everglades challenges and attempted ten, I believe. Uh, his his um, fiance had completed like seven and attempted eight. There was another. Paddler with them named Gil Holdago who had completed five Everglades challenges and I think attempted six, and then Rod Price who you know you obviously know is a uh, basically a professional competitive paddler and has you know set a Guinness Book world record earlier that year. Um, and then you know had, Rod's won you know races literally all over the planet, paddling. Uh, so, you know, when I met up with these people and figured out who they really were and and, then what level of experience they had, you know, I was, uh, made the decision right then and there to like, look, I'm just going to follow these people to the finish because if, if they don't make it and then we all tap together, then at least I'll know I'll tapped with, you know, some of the elite in the Everglades challenge world. That's awesome
0: that you were able to, to catch up, you know, to these, elite paddlers for whatever reason um and then i know just kind of a side note again uh when you guys you know you were you made it to the the north side of pine island and uh you guys kind of hopped out for a break and you noticed that the bolts holding your rudder together were loose
1: (laughs) so you had to fix that that yeah that that happened before i met up with them but um, oh it did okay yeah. yeah. So that was yeah, crossing Charlotte Harbor. I, I didn't meet up with the group of paddlers until like South of Pine Island, which is, you know, like, like uh, Fort Myers area, but yeah. Got it. Uh, fixed my rudder uh, with my epoxy that I brought with me.
0: Awesome. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it's important for all you paddlers out there. You got to bring something with you, not just the duct tape. I mean, it's uh, these these things, these extra screws and cables and, glue and all that stuff i mean really in the in the scheme of things it's not gonna weigh you down enough to matter um because Mm -hmm. if you you know it could it's something so little that you could just repair so easily because you brought the right material you know rather than having to tap out because of that simple reason so
1: yeah no that's huge Yeah, huge And, and i mean the or if you don't have the mechanical skills to repair your boat paddle with somebody who does
0: right because you could have all the material in the world and if you don't know what to do with it you're you're kind right. of up the creek <laughs>
1: right right so so yeah, what anyway. so
0: what happens after that after you meet up with with rod and and the couple and the other yeah. paddler what where yeah, are you so guys heading to do we, at this
1: point the screws on down south um we didn't. I didn't do a whole lot of miles that that third day in the big scheme of things, only because um, they had started paddling at like 2 a.m. Because I passed them in the night while sailing, they had stopped on Pine Island and camped on Pine Island. I sailed past them in the night, just you know, relaxing, eating a granola bar, uh, and was probably eight or ten miles south of them when I slept. They got up at 2 a.m and paddled uh, past me before I got up out of bed I got up at I don't know 6 30 or 7 in the boat by 7 30 uh, and they were probably only a mile ahead of me at that time and in the early morning I was able to sail a little bit and put on a lot of speed caught up with them because of my sailing but by that time the wind shifted and you know set, you know basically to a headwind so we just paddled as a group upwind all day down the Florida coast, you know, in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, But it wasn't strong enough wind to pick up big waves. And, you know, it was, it it was a relatively nice day of paddling other than the slight headwind. Um, Later that day, we stopped at a, an inlet and ran into a Everglades paddler um, named Godzilla, who was in a uh, (laughs) two man outrigger. But, as, you know, so basically one of the seats in the outrigger was his gear and the other seat was the paddler. Um, and uh, he's a great guy. Uh, unbelievably fast in his, his uh, two-man outrigger. And um, we continued out of the coast. We ended up camping at, uh, um, what is it? What's the island?
0: Is it Key Waden? Is that how you Key
1: pronounce Waden, it? Yes. We ended up camping on the north end of Key Waden, uh, which is about, I don't know, 8, 10 miles from Marco, where I had tapped out the year before. Sleep on a, basically an oyster bar. Um, wake up that morning. Continue on the the the, the backside of Key Waden. Um, and this is where uh, Mary and Andy really started to shine because they obviously had paddled these waters a lot and they weren't talking about they weren't discussing where we should go they were discussing like which cut we should take that would likely offer us the best uh you know view of the sunrise and you know which birds would be out in which particular cuts
0: (laughs) that's so cool
1: yeah it was amazing they were uh it was as if we were paddling through their backyard and they were giving us a tour of their, you know, manicured backyard.
0: So is this the point where you had mentioned that your GPS was reading dry land, but it turned out to be a narrow creek dividing? Yeah, the that
1: was uh, the that day after. So we, we passed Marco, we passed Goodland, which is sort of the last human settlement before you enter uh, 10,000 Island Nat, uh, Park and Everglades National. And through 10,000 islands, which is called that for a good reason, uh, there's literally maybe not 10,000 islands, but a huge, huge area of islands that you can either transit offshore uh, or cut through the maze of mangrove islands. And, uh, yeah, that so the wind really picked up later that day out of the south. We're heading generally south and east. Um, and we're in the open Gulf of Mexico. So the, you know, the waves got huge three, four foot rolling waves. Um, so we decided to cut through the inside of 10,000 islands, which is a a course generally referred to as the maze, uh, you know, for the Everglades, uh, the EC people. Uh Anyway, so this is where Andy and, uh, and, uh, Mary, take us through, um, yeah, which according to my GPS was dry dirt, which was actually a small <laughs> creek. Um, and then they're, they're talking like, you, you know, last time we heard three weeks ago, you know, this, this tide was much higher and this is, oh, everything's changed. And it was, um, there's, there's absolutely no way I would have made it through 10,000 islands without following, uh, uh, this group of people.
0: So with this being said, while GPS is a must in races like this, sometimes just having that experience and knowledge or being with people that have that experience and knowledge of inside passages like this um, is, is a plus. So it's a good thing that you, it was meant to be right. That you, that you caught up or met up with these people. And uh, just to kind of backtrack, I I was reading something that I, I would really like to point out because I think it's It is something that is so, so important in a lot of these races, Um, specifically, I'm going to say in the Alabama 650 and even in the MR340, um, where you you earlier on you had gotten attacked, kind of attacked by a jet ski. And then later on, you you were when you were caught up with the group, you guys almost got taken out or someone almost got taken out by a fishing boat.
1: Right. Yeah. So we are coming into the channel that was on the north side of Key Waden Island, which is sort of, it's a, a demarcation line. So the, the north side of the channel is massive mansions with, uh, you know, $2 million boats parked behind them. And on the south end of the island is a national preserve with no people at all. Uh, so we were entering that cut and one of these huge, You know, million-dollar center consoles was coming in late at night, super fast. uh, You know, with sponsors tagged on the side like a NASCAR, uh, and he almost ran over Andy. He was, you know, hundred feet from running over Andy.
0: That's really scary, and this happened happens more often than not. People don't realize um, that. I mean, 50%, whether my percentages are on or off, but 50% of the time, it's like these people actually really don't know you're there. Um, And other times they just don't care. Um, You know, in, in races like MR340 or Alabama 650, you're getting a lot of low laying fog because, you know, you're on these rivers and depending on the time of day, whether it's really early in the morning or late in the evening and the fog rolls in and you've got these speed boats that are just going so fast. And I mean, if you don't have some sort of light or signal on your bow, you could really, really be in some serious danger. So I know you talked about how you had a you had something handy that that you could signal the boat with. Okay. What was
1: that? So I have a, I carry a uh, like a twenty thousand lumen waterproof flashlight on the front of my PFD that is. Attached my PFD, but with a long enough cord that I can, uh, pick it up and shine, you know, in the, in the eyes of whatever captain of whatever boats coming at me. So I did that and, and, you know, hit it on, it has a strobe function. Uh, and I hit the captain with the strobe and he immediately pulled back and, you know, did the right thing and, and slowed, slowed down and, and, and avoided a collision. But, uh, yeah, you know, you need to, just because you're in a paddle boat doesn't mean you're you're not uh, applicable for you know maritime proper navigation lights. You know if you're uh-huh. on a boat of any size, any, of any place, you need at least a 360 white, meaning a, a white light that shines 360 degrees around, of a minimum lumen you know brightness, and the the brighter the better.
0: That's really really good advice. I mean. I wouldn't have even thought about that attaching the, the flashlight to the life jacket with some sort of, you know, coiled cord that can stretch out. That's a really, really good idea.
1: Yes. And, uh, a race requirement in the everybody's challenge. Good to know specifically like, yeah, the, the, uh, A really great resource for safe uh, coastal marine paddling is the uh, required equipment list for the Everglades Challenge, uh, specifically of your PFD. So you need, you know, uh, literally two pages of safety equipment, but one of those pages is only the PFD that you must have on you at all times.
0: Yes. And it's crucial. Um, that's why, you know, the PFD that I choose to wear has a lot of pockets and a knife lash tab on it specifically because there are things that you got to consider. You've got to keep these things on your body because if you get separated from your boat, the only mm-hmm. thing you've got on you is your life jacket. So the more you can comfortably stuff that thing with survival gear, we're talking matches and, you know, a whistle and a mylar,
1: Space, reflective blanket, yeah.
0: space blanket I mean just whatever like the proper safety tool should be stuck on your body yep. so that's that's great I'm glad yeah. that you pointed that out
1: yeah and the like I said the if you go to the uh water tribe website there is uh articles and checklists and uh a, a detailed description of all the safety equipment that you need to you know embark on one of these races safely and uh, you know, flatly, you know, specifically with the hypothermia recovery, you know, I mean, that I, I believe that article probably saved my life.
0: Yeah, that's, that's important. So yeah, if you guys want to check that out, definitely go on Water Tribe, not only to, to look at all the safety equipment required, but also just to find out about it. I'm <laughs> kind of off subject here, but I, you just earlier were talking about this name, Godzilla. I mean, these names that people, <laughs> that people get are are awesome <laughs> makes me kind of wonder what my name would be
1: <laughs> yeah so i i had a in 2020 my name uh was uroy which is one of my favorite reggae singers um oh. but in 2021 i did a about 160 mile paddle uh, which is sort of the lower half of the race course from uh Chukulesky to uh, key largo And during that trip, I was, you know, there was a, everybody who went on the trip was all water tribe paddlers, and I was bestowed a a new name, uh, because we were with an older gentleman whose uh, tribe name is Puma, and he was in a a kayak, and uh, several times we needed to pull the kayak up onto the chickie where we were, which is, you know, three or four feet. And, uh, you know, I'm an ex, you know, Texas high school football player. So picking up a 80 pound kayak and slinging it up onto a dock is not a problem for me. And, uh, Puma, Puma told me that, uh, you know, I was like a, a huge Buffalo that would just hoist up anything he needed. And so I was, I was bestowed the, the water tribe name, Buffalo soldier.
0: (laughs) That's great. All, all reggae related. That's really cool. All right, Buffalo Soldier. So back to the race. So at this point, you are paddling around the last crossing around Camp Lulu, and that became really challenging because you had to stop and wait for your team a lot. Because uh, was it because of your sail, or I mean, why? Why at this point didn't you just take off?
1: So I could have, uh, and I probably would have failed. Uh, I, I was the only person in the group with a sail. Um, I would later learn that I was the only, probably, race competitor still on the race course with a class one sail. Um, but the the security and the comfort of uh, being able to paddle with you know such veterans uh, for me far outweighed uh, you know any any speed I could put on anybody. Um, <clears throat> and the other thing you know, I really learned from, from Scott, Scott base, the conquistador, that's his name, uh, was that, you know, winning an EC is not about paddling fast. It's about resting the most, you know, keeping, being able to keep the, uh, race pace needed to finish on time and rest as much as possible. So I was the only person in the group who had a sail. So wherever, wherever possible, I would pop my sail up and, um, you know, I could not paddle and make five or six knots easily. Whereas uh, you know, they're they're gonna average three, three and a half. So I didn't sail that much in in the whole of the day, you know, maybe an hour or two, but that started to add up over, you know, four or five, six days where there's two hours of the day where everybody who's with me is paddling, but I'm not. And then I get to shore or wherever we're going to meet up again. And then, you know, that a uh, few hours where I was sailing and they were not turns into a few more hours where I'm sitting waiting for them to catch up to me and they're paddling the whole time. So, you know, mostly I stayed with them because I was looking to finish and I figured uh, there's nobody better to paddle with than this, this group of paddlers. Uh, and. I would be unbelievably embarrassed and ashamed if I decided to leave them uh, from from a speed perspective, and then made some you know silly error or or poor choice down the race course uh, that ended up costing me the finish when I should have just you know followed the tribe elders and 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 taken my finish. So I didn't leave them because I knew they knew better than me.
0: I love that. I think that was a very smart move on your behalf. Uh, Talk about this man that you met that had a bottle of rum and fishing gear. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So we're in in the middle of 10,000 islands. Um, This guy has a like nine foot Walmart sit on top. Like just, you know, he's just got a boat and like a small cooler and obviously no sunblock because he was like burnt you know (laughs) canadian burnt uh a couple fishing rods and like a hammock and we so we come up on this you know and he's like almost in the middle like so he's probably you know 10 miles from you know maybe 15 miles from marco island like he's very remote very little cell cell phone coverage um and we show up on this island to look, take a sort of a dinner break um and there's this super friendly deeply sunburnt canadian guy with a, you know the anything you can buy at walmart to go camping with he had which you know that also fit into like a small shopping cart, and so he had you know a tarp and a few fishing poles and a bottle of rum and a cell phone. No, no ability to charge his cell phone, um, and just was super welcoming. Oh hey, how you doing? Nice to see you. You know, um, did, he did nicely ask to charge his cell phone from our battery packs, which is no problem. We helped him out, but. While we're sitting there eating dinner, the guy catches like a four foot black tip shark. Crazy.
0: Wow. That's pretty cool. I love the people that we meet out there and people that aren't even a part of the race, but they somehow become, you know, they become a part of our story and we don't forget them.
1: Right. Right. Well, and I think in some sense, uh, you know, there's a a bit of a kindred spirit. You know, if if they're that far out there you know, they have to understand some of the same things that we understand.
0: Absolutely. So once you, well, okay, let's, let's backtrack before I get into that. So there was a lot of twists and curves that you talked about making it very easy for the group to get spread apart. So what, what was the the little trick that you guys did to kind of stay, stay together somewhat close?
1: <laughs> so, it, you know, it's, it got dark rather quickly. We're heading into Chukchuskie, uh, and the path through the Ten Thousand Islands is, you know, narrow and treed, and it's easy to get lost. And so, Gil Hildago, one of our, you know, co co paddlers, would, uh, you know, he's sort of a, a outspoken individual, and he would often sing verses of a song and then the rest of us would sort of answer the verse of the song as kind of like a roll call. So, you know, it's, uh, let's say midnight and we're still a couple hours from Chuck And, uh, he would just belt out randomly like day, me said day, me said day, me said day. Oh. And then we would (laughs) all answer, you know, like daylight, come on, me one go home. But, uh, yeah, it ended up being kind of a theme that we held throughout the rest of the race.
0: That's really fun. And this sort of silly stuff is just, it's its super important because I think it not only keeps us lighthearted, it also keeps us awake. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. really fun that you guys decided to do that. So when you make it to checkpoint two, uh, the group is about 45 minutes behind you because you put some distance on them. And once you arrive uh what name did your did your group
1: yeah acquire? So we, we arrived in a, uh the guy who was running the checkpoint two was uh one of the competitors that decided to tap out at the same time that i tapped out in 2020 a guy named water scout um and so we you know we obviously knew each other and uh you know it was big hugs and so as soon as, and I, you know, from a, a spectator standpoint, there's lots of people who follow the race based on the race tracker, but as a race competitor, you may not have that view of a race spectator. So we didn't know that we were some of the last people on the course. We didn't know that, you know, 70% of the fleet had already tapped out. Um, so I got there, I got to checkpoint two and he's like, Oh, who, who are those uh four other people, you know, four other paddlers behind you, you know, are you with them? What's what's the story? And uh I was like, oh yeah, we're the because uh Gil Hidago is uh Puerto Rican and so we were making all sorts of you know Spanish jokes and you know I was just like yeah we're the five amigos paddling together. And so we got label you know on the the race website there's all sorts of like chat groups where you know people are talking about who's still left on the group and uh we were immediately reported as being the five amigos.
0: That is so fun. So when the other four amigos arrived, uh is that at, at that point, is that when you went to bed and you got a pretty good rest?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. We uh you know, as you as you talked about earlier, uh I, I didn't paddle with anybody, I didn't train with anybody, I didn't plan to paddle with anybody. Um, so my whole like mental uh, race preparation was from a solo perspective. And, you know, to, to all of a sudden be sort of thrust into a, a, a group dynamic, I, I really uh, appreciated and uh, liked all the help that we had. And for me, the, the most interesting and like entertaining part was the like, you know, we didn't, there was no official like pact. We didn't, you know, shake hands and spit in our palm about how we're gonna all stick together um it just sort of evolved and you know by the time we got to checkpoint two it was to the point where you didn't have to ask anybody there was no formal uh agreement of okay oh we're all going to help each other put all of our boats up like everybody just got out of their boats and grabbed one end of the first boat and you know trudged it up and then went to the next one and um just the 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 group help group dynamic was uh For me, awesome to see and uh, just, you know, heartwarming to see, you know, a a random group of people that may or may have known each other a couple hours before and are now, uh, you know, going out of their way to help each other at three in the morning at a very high level of exhaustion um, in the the, pure sake of, you know, helping your fellow paddler.
0: Yeah, and that's one thing I really love. When I the first race I ever did in 2018, the MR340, it's right off the bat. It's the first thing I noticed about these kind of races, as opposed to let's say, you know, the the sprint races that you do, is that everyone really is looking out for each other, and you you create this bond that lasts, and you you know you see each other, you see each other at other races, and you. You pass on knowledge and everyone is just one big like ultra endurance family. We all take care of each other. So that's really exciting. Mm. So it's, it's according to my math that I did, which I'm not great at math. It's been three days, 14 hours and 45 minutes. And you are at mile one seventy four. the five amigos, you wake up feeling fatigued. Um, You walk to a close by Cuban restaurant. Uh, for a cafe colada and a cuban sandwich and there you meet up with uh the other amigos and you're feeling dejected and ready to tap out which this point of the story really surprised me like reading that you felt dejected and ready to tap out i'm thinking oh my god is he gonna tap out so talk about that feeling and what became of it
1: well uh unlike you i am a math guy uh like okay how far am i and where do i need to be by what time so from chukulowski to flamingo is the what's called the wilderness waterway which is a you know a path cut through the everglades specifically designed to be canoed uh it's roughly 100 miles um and we had about 46 hours to paddle 100 miles during this hundred miles, you have there's no stops, there's no resupply, there's no nothing. So you got to bring, you know, enough water to drink over a hundred miles. You need to bring enough food to drink, you know, food to eat over those hundred miles. There's no chance of a resupply. There's no chance of a you know, if you get in trouble and need to tap out, then you're, you know, you're calling the Coast Guard.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. So you know, I I just drag myself to the Cuban restaurant and sit down and the uh, the other option is the offshore option which is uh a much more direct route much straighter course uh roughly 30 miles shorter um but with the wind direction it also involves 3 to 4 foot breaking waves that we had paddled through the day before so the offshore option really wasn't an option uh and so the only option was the inland inland option through the wilderness waterway of roughly 100 miles and a fun little caveat is roughly mile 60 you enter a piece of water called the nightmare which is a nine mile section uh, of the wilderness waterway that is dry land at low tide and uh basically a barely passable creek through a uh, dense forest at high tide so that the next high tide through the nightmare was at 6 a.m the next morning which means that we needed to paddle 60 miles uh from 10 a.m one morning till 6 a.m the following morning in order to make make the nightmare cut off so I'm kind of doing this mental calculus as I'm walking to the restaurant. I'm like, you know, there's no way. Can't do it. Not gonna, you know, can't make 60 miles in uh 18 hours. It just more work. So, you know, I walk into the restaurant thinking, like, all right, cool. Well, made it farther than the first time, you know, that's a win. Everything's good. Uh, I'm gonna have me a Cuban sandwich and pack my tent up and call my wife. And <laughs> uh that was not at all what the amigos were having like as soon as i even mentioned a tap out or anything you know uh i immediately was hit with you know you've worked so hard you've come so far you know you're not giving up like none of that so you know i ordered another round of uh, strong cuban coffee and uh I was like okay you know you, i believe you you know more about this than me and, uh, yeah, we packed up and left and the plan was to paddle to a, ch- you know, a chickie or a, basically a dock in the Everglades, uh, take a little two hour disco nap and then get up and keep paddling and make it through the nightmare. Um, as it turns out, we had some mechanical issues. Uh, Rod Price ended up, um, not actually breaking a rudder cable, but you know, like braiding through 90 percent of his rudder cable and at a one of the very few ground you know areas of dry land called uh darwin's place uh which is actually like an abandoned homestead uh we ended up exchange you know uh, changing out rod's rudder cable on his on his boat <coughs> at about i don't know four or five p.m in the afternoon and uh That ended up being a huge deal because there there really isn't any other dry land that we could have done that at. So uh, I kind of earned my keep in the group as, you know, like Rod's uh, talented in a lot of things, but fixing boats is not his forte. So when he (laughs) got out of the rotor cable, you know, he started cussing, you know, like, oh, this is we're not going to fix this. We're going to make it. Ah, he's, you know, freaking out a little bit. Uh, you know, Gil and I talked and, you know, he had some super glue and I had a replacement rudder cable and it's like, man, we got this. Just do it. Swapped out the cable in probably, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes and uh, loaded up and pushed on. We didn't quite make the speed that we expected, so our uh, two-hour nap ended up being like a Thirty minute, drink all the caffeine that you have, and we're gonna <laughs> put all night.
0: And sometimes that's how it works out. I mean, i it, it's I, I carry this stuff uh, called military energy gum. You can get it on Amazon. and if worse if worse comes to worse, I mean, I am actually overdosed on it one time, and I just got by overdose, I mean, like I just had way too much and got super jittery and crazy, but it got me to the next checkpoint and safely, but uh, it was quite scary. Uh, to rewind for just a second, so going back to sitting down at the Cuban restaurant, uh, do you think that, and I feel like I already kind of know the answer to this because it's happened to me before, but do you think that uh, you would have let that inside voice convince you that you couldn't make it and would have tapped out if, in in fact, the, the amigos were not with you? I mean, do you think you would have let this voice take over your choice?
1: Yeah, no question, hundred
0: percent. Yeah, I I thought so because I mean it's 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 a really difficult place to be in to feel defeated and to feel like there's no you know once you start doing the math in your head and you know you start doubting yourself I mean just your excuses seem to grow and grow and grow and grow. Um, and I well, think I mean, too even yeah, yeah exactly I've never gone that far that long. And I think, too, even, you know, even Rod, imagine if Rod would have been by himself, you know, and his rudder would have been 90 percent broken and he was with no one. I mean, what how do you think he would have felt? You know, he probably would have felt a lot more defeated. But so I think it's it's so important to realize that sometimes being with a group of people. Is the most amazing thing that can happen to you and it seems to always happen. I swear it always happens at the right time (laughs) always during these kind of races. So you guys, let's see, trying to think where we are in the story. So we were, we were talking about how the two hour nap turns into a 30 minute guzzle all the caffeine you can. And then you end up being slower uh, than expected and you get to another cheeky um, and it ends up being occupied and your gps right, had right. died during the night and your spare was yep. tucked away kind of out of reach so uh, was it rod that gave you some spare batteries
1: yeah but that was the next day um, the next my, day my okay. GPS, yeah my gps died right as we were ending the nightmare um, got it kind of doesn't matter because gps doesn't really work in the nightmare because the tree cover is so uh heavy Um, so
0: what's the nightmare for for everyone listening i i would like to know what the nightmare is it sounds like a nightmare
1: it's you know it's a dramatized name like most things uh it's just really a tidal creek so there's a there's a you know you're, you're going out what's called the broad river the broad river enters out into the gulf of mexico um and there's a cut through that doesn't involve going offshore into the Gulf of Mexico that allows you to connect to the next river south uh, without entering into the Gulf of Mexico. But that cut through is essentially like a tidal creek through super heavy, you know, very dense uh, forest that makes you feel like you're in Jurassic Park. And it's, you know... Not passable by motor vessel only maintained by you know park rangers in canoes with saws, so you know there's you know it's it's paddle ten feet and then you know wrestle through a down tree branch and then paddle another ten feet and then wrestle through another down tree branch uh and then repeat that over and over for nine miles um it's it's incredibly beautiful um uh, you know incredibly intimidating as well because it's, it's basically the midpoint of the uh, wilderness waterway, so you're you're fifty miles from anywhere
0: mm-hmm.
1: with uh, the only possibility of rescue uh would be like a coast guard helicopter uh, you're you're probably also fifty miles from the nearest dry land uh. Uh, or or human uh, human settlement. There's just nothing. The southwest corner of Florida has no people, no roads, uh, very little dry land, um, and then at t- you know at low tide, also very little water.
0: Got um, it. And so obviously, your experience probably would have been a little different if you were alone. I know in the Alabama six fifty you have to go through this area called Bottle Creek, and it's It's pretty, it's fairly short, but I have to say that two times I went through it, I was alone, but, um, it was during the day. If I would have had to go through that at night, um, it's really eerie. Um, it's very narrow with low hanging trees. Again, no cell phone service and just, just really creepy. I would, I would have been scared if it, if it was nighttime. So do you think that, you know, going through the nightmare that if you were alone or it was dark, I mean, it probably would have been a completely different experience
1: oh yeah there's i don't think i would have done it i would have <laughs> nope skip sorry see you later yeah. well another thing is that uh you know as i demonstrated in 2020 like my uh tolerance for high level danger is is, is, is kind of low um but for me the safety factor of having other people around you is is uh, immense and mm-hmm. um you know, just changes your calculus completely for for what is acceptable and not acceptable risk. You know, I I would have never paddled, A, I never would have paddled long enough or hard enough to make it to the nightmare on time for the tide schedule, because I never would have gone that sleep deprived by myself with the possibility of rolling, you know, while you're passing out in your boat uh, by myself. I just, there's no way. I just would have never done it. Too dangerous or so too far
0: of anything Yeah. So it seems like a lot of things were working out for you in twenty twenty two as opposed to twenty twenty. Uh, so Flamingo is your next checkpoint, right? Checkpoint three that you're headed to. And right. at this point, so the previous night at nine thirty you enter the Harney, is it the Harney River Chicky? And you, you get some sleep?
1: Right. It's nine thirty in the morning.
0: Nine thirty in the morning, okay.
1: Right, right. Nine thirty AM having paddled from eleven thirty AM till nine thirty AM the next day.
0: And you wake up at two thirty in the afternoon after sleeping, going to sleep right. at nine thirty AM. You wake up at two thirty um and then p. M. your your group PM, yes. Um and your group leaves by about six PM after eating. You said treating blisters, changing GPS batteries. What kind of batteries are you using for your GPS? I'm curious. Are you using lithium or regular?
1: Well, so I had a a battery pack of 16 uh, lithium ion batteries uh, and a power cable to my GPS that uh, in 2020 worked the entirety of the race and had no problems with. And I didn't have to open my GPS or change batteries or do any of that on the fly, you know, just you know, it was just enough juice to last the whole race. Well, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. my battery cable corroded out, um, you know, in the days previous. So now I'm stuck with changing batteries every day or so. Uh, And that that worked for a little while, but um, eventually the batteries that I had uh, got low enough voltage so that individually they didn't work. And then also, eventually, because I'm changing batteries at night, you know, with wet fingers, my primary GPS failed, um, probably from water being, you know, pushed into it by me changing batteries. So then I had to get out my second GPS, which my second GPS worked fine, but um, at this point, I, I am out of lithium ion batteries that will charge it. And regular AA's only last a couple of hours. So yes, uh, true. Rod, yeah, Rod gave me a couple lithium ion double A's um, that had worked the day before. Um, so this is leaving Flamingo, entering Florida Bay, which is a 37 mile section, um, you know, with also very limited dry land. And um, so it's pretty, you know, Florida Bay is a very big place with with very specific narrow channels that you can, you know, only really hit accurately if you like live in Florida Bay or have a GPS. So I was pretty nervous um leaving the group uh again because of navigation errors. Uh on 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 this last day, the 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 finish day, um the wind was in the right direction. I could have I could have sailed from you know twenty feet past where we started all the way to the end. Um but I, I didn't. I, I stayed with the group for you know probably the first half of the day, um, sailed across open ocean, you know open passages, and then would you know sit in the lee behind an island. Um, but we was very hesitant to leave the group just because of the you know what we'd overcome together in the last few days, um, and the you know the safety that the group provided, and my you know just fear of leaving the group making some dumb turn or, you know, making some sort of error that would result in me not finishing, you know, being this close to the finish.
0: So you arrive at Flamingo Checkpoint 3, and yep. that had meant that you had done the the Wilderness Waterway in just under 40 hours, which is impressive because rewinding, uh, I know that you, when you were at that Cuban restaurant, you had overheard uh so two people discussing how they powered the yeah. the wilderness waterway in 47 yeah, and hours
1: about, yeah the fastest they had ever done the wilderness waterway was 47 hours
0: so you you guys completed it in 40 hours right that's impressive i mean that's
1: 100 miles in 40 great. hours yeah
0: yeah so that must have felt just such like such a relief
1: It was a a relief to get to sleep, but we were so fatigued afterwards that, you know, the next morning, uh, you know, Andy tried to wake me up, and, you know, he said it took 10 minutes of, like, shaking me before I even moved and, you know, responded.
0: (laughs) Imagine if there wasn't anyone there to wake you up. I mean, what would you have done, right? And you talk about checkpoint three. You're not allowed to use... You're, or you're not allowed to set up camp, right, at checkpoint three at all. So what 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 was your alternative? What did you do?
1: Right. So the the mosquitoes in Flamingo are legendary, and when we arrived at three a.m., they were they were pretty pretty nasty. So you're not technically allowed to set up a tent, you know. Air parentheses. So I used my tent as a mosquito net, and and uh, just you know basically crawled into a poleless a polis tent and zip myself in with a uh, one of my paddles sort of holding the the mesh off my back. Um, <laughs> and, you know, s- slept like that.
0: That's pretty smart.
1: I don't know. I sure long. wish
0: I would have thought of that. I know one of the checkpoints or I'm not sure if it's actually a checkpoint anymore, but in the Yukon, uh, the Yukon river quest at The second stop, it's at Coffee Creek, and I am telling you, the chiggers and the mosquitoes and the mice are just enough to make you just tap out right then and there. And I was too tired to set up my tent, so I I really could have just crawled in it, like you said, and done that. That's a great idea. So after, after portaging across Flamingo, cause it is a, is it a mandatory, a mandatory portage across Flamingo right, there?
1: Yeah. So if you come into Flamingo from the freshwater side, you have to portage your boat, I don't know, maybe a hundred yards or so um, mm-hmm. into the saltwater side, which is Florida Bay. And then, uh, yeah, the next morning we, uh, launched into Florida Bay and, uh, well, so Flamingo is nice because there's like a convenience store at the marina, so you know you can buy like drinks and a breakfast burrito, and you know all the lavish luxuries of of city life. Internet, cell phone coverage—it's crazy. Um, but yes, yeah, so the next morning we leave into Florida Bay, and that's kind of you know where I hung with the group, uh, despite you know probably being able to sail the entirety of Florida Bay. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, stuck with the group for, you know, through to noon. Um, and then we came to one particular section, um, called the twisty mile. And And this is a
0: real, a real pivotal moment, uh, for, for you in this race. So yeah, talk, continue, talk about that. Yeah, the
1: the twisty mile, it's, uh, very shallow water with a, 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 you know, serpentine sort of channel cut through it, um and the wind was just howling and because it's so it's so shallow that the waves can't even form uh so it's you know for for a sailing canoe it's great because you can get all the power of the wind and none of the uh downsides of having big waves so i cruised through the twisty mile just hauling but you know look back at my my you know the the four of me goes behind me and they're way behind me and um You know, my GPS is working and the batteries are good, so I'm like, all right, cool. I'm just going for it. I'm gonna finish. Um heading out of the twisty mile, I notice another like a sail on the horizon. Um, I don't know who it is at the time, but uh, you know, my new goal is to catch catch that sailboat. And uh, you know, the old adage of uh, you know, if ever there are two boats on the water heading to the same place at the same time, it's a race. Um so yeah spent the rest of the day uh sailing and paddling as fast as I could trying to catch this sail that was on the horizon at about noon and um by 5:30 or so uh I was within probably a mile of the uh the sailboat that I saw at noon and was doing my best to try and catch him uh but uh didn't quite do it and uh, ended up finishing at 7:20 p.m. on Friday night, which was also my 42nd birthday.
0: That is great. And and what who was there to greet you at the finish?
1: Yeah. So um, the original plan was just going to be my mom and dad, uh, but. Uh, my wife came down with my two daughters and sort of the way the finish is set up. You sort of come around like a peninsula and then cross like a, you know, maybe a half mile open bay um, before you get to the finish beach. And as soon as I cross that peninsula, I can hear kids screaming like, go,
0: daddy, go.
1: And, uh,
0: <laughs> so you know, sweet.
1: Right, right, right. And you, you know, there's, any parent can recognize the scream of their own children.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh,
1: so yeah, I'm you know I I can hear hear my girls screaming and um, as soon as I get close to the beach, the like go daddy go cheers turn into a, a, a happy birthday song, uh, which is real special. And uh, yeah, my girls ran out into the water, gave me a hug. You know, still sitting in my boat, um, but it was a you know beautiful finish.
0: Oh man, I would have just lost it at that point. I know, reading your story, I even started you know, tearing up. Cause I just, I know that feeling, I mean, especially after having, you know, felt so defeated in, in, in 2020 and then going back in 2022 and getting to a point where you felt defeated again and just not, you know, questioning whether or not you were going to finish and having all these moments of doubt and wondering, and then just rounding that finish line. It's almost like, the way that I described it at the end of uh, one of my races was it was like, I was, I was a half a mile from the finish and I almost just, I think I just sat there and I'm like, I don't know if I want to be done yet. Like I do, but I don't. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. It's such a bittersweet moment, but that's really special that uh, your family was there to greet you. And especially that it was, you know, your 42nd birthday and it was what a great way to celebrate. That's so great.
1: Yeah. Well, and by this time too, we uh, kind of through talking to people at race checkpoints had figured out that we were basically the last, uh, group of people on the on the race course uh and knew that um myself, uh Rod Price and uh Mary all were gonna be class winners. Uh not because we beat anybody, but because we were the only people to finish in our class.
0: That's really awesome. So I, I assume that you stuck around and waited for the amigos.
1: Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And the finish. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Well, they were only about 45 minutes behind me. Um,
0: Okay. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. I was going to say if it was a few hours, you'd probably be just sleeping.
1: Yeah. (laughs) No, I was going to wait for him regardless. You know, 45 minutes or three hours, whatever. But um, yeah, it was a very emotional finish and really awesome. And kind of an interesting uh, side note, so the, the sailboat that I was chasing um, was another sort of veteran group uh, in the Everglades Challenge, which is uh, Leeward Lauren and Windward Mark, who are uh, from Michigan and uh, were in a Kruger Cruiser, which is like a, a sort of famous touring canoe, uh, Kevlar canoe uh, made by a guy named Verlin Kruger. And they have a, a like a large... I don't know, maybe maybe five square meter sail with ama's, you know, ama's and inflatable outrigger. So they were in a different class. But um, I lost to Mark and Lauren by about twenty minutes. And Mark and Lauren and the Five Amigos were the only uh, six race competitors to do the wilderness waterway. And so there's there's two ways to rank class winners on the everglades challenge website one is by time and the other is by difficulty so if you Mm. rank race finishers by difficulty mark and lauren won the everglades challenge and i was second place by 20 minutes
0: wow that's really cool i never knew that that's really cool that they do that so right. take away from everything. Uh, one thing that really stuck out to me is you refer to the Everglades challenge as a giant Rubik's cube. Uh, explain that a little bit. And if you had advice for people that want to attempt the race, I mean, what, what would your biggest advice be?
1: If you want to do the Everglades challenge, um, you know, I strongly recommend as I did, to lean on the advice and help of other race competitors. You know, go to a, go to a start, shake hands, smile, meet some people. Everybody's going to help you out. Um, you know, I think, you know, to your point earlier about the quality of people that you see on these longer distance races, um, who are more than willing to help you out as opposed to like the shorter sprint races. Um, in my opinion, that has a lot to do with who you're racing on a sprint event, you're probably racing the person who's unloading their canoe next to you on a 300 mile race, you know, through ocean and, uh, wind and wave and current and tide, you're racing yourself and the elements. And, you know, my, I imagine, and I believe this, that the reason that race, you know, co fellow racers are so friendly and willing to help each other out is because they're not trying to beat you. They're trying to beat the wind and the wave and the, you know, the evil thoughts in their own head.
0: So as far as referring to it as a giant Rubik's cube, what is that all about?
1: Oh, well, that's because there's no race course. You're not, you're not racing down a river. You're racing down a, um, you know, a peninsula that has thousands of islands and, You know hundreds of different possible race courses between the start and the finish that are all affected by wind wave and tide and how you choose to you know make your way down the coast of florida is a hundred percent up to you and the decisions that you make along the way you know whether to go inland you know to you know turn left turn right you know sleep more sleep less you know, camp here, don't camp, keep going, camp later. All these things add up hugely in the end. And, you know, every little decision that you make on day one and two will have knock-on effects into, you know, late in the race course, which probably involves so many unknown variables that predicting the knock-on effect is, is nearly impossible. Uh so it's it's very different than a, a a river race in which there is no navigational or tide decisions that need to be made. You know, in a, in a river race, you're going to have the same basic flow on day one as you will on the finish day, and whether or not you sleep now or sleep in six hours, you're going to have basically the same current. Mm-hmm. In in a tidal coastal race, that is not at all the case. You could have five knots in your favor or five knots in your face. And that all depends on which 12-hour section of the day you choose, you know, or whatever, whatever five-hour section of the day you choose not to paddle in.
0: You know, there's a lot of people out there that that do these races and they, they don't make it to the finish line. And uh, I know personally from having to DQ or whatever you want to call it at the California River Quest, I believe it was in 20... 20- I want to say it was 2019 i could be off on the year but because of hypothermia and and making a wrong decision uh you know trying to rush things and then really going back and and wanting to finish what i started um, on the same boat actually which i knew wasn't going to be the fastest craft but just finishing what you started and i really wanted to share your story because i think there are a lot of people out there that haven't finished something that they started either because they they believe that you know they're not going to make it because they couldn't do it the first time or maybe it's for you know a slew of other reasons but I really enjoyed listening to your story about you know persevering and really being positive and taking taking a a failure um, rather than it being a failure taking it as a lesson learned and applying it to your accomplishments in 2022 so thank you so much for sharing
1: Absolutely. Thank you for your time. And I appreciate you giving me the platform.
0: Well, there you have it. An inspiring story of falling short, going back to the drawing board and coming back stronger and wiser to make it to the finish line. I want to thank everyone for listening. And I hope you learned a few things along the way. I know I sure did. Keep up with the latest episodes by hitting the subscribe button. And until next time, see you on the water.